Greetings and welcome to another episode of Coast to Coast, where I look at the building of the Transcontinental Railway. Before I begin, I first want to say thank you to everybody who's enjoyed the podcast. This is the last episode because, well, it's the last spike. And this was a really fun series to put together. I've always been interested in the Transcontinental Railway, and I like diving into the history, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. And as the last episode, I'm doing a bit of a donation drive. As you know, I make all these podcasts full-time. I write them, I research them, I put them together, everything. It's all me. And I really enjoy it, but it's a lot of work, and it is my full-time job. So I'm doing a bit of a donation drive just to bring in some extra money. I got bills to pay, mouths to feed, well, specifically my mouth, and the mouth of my dog, Boris, who's with me always. I'm going to make sure that he has his treats and his wonderful dog food. So I'm doing the donation drive, but you don't have to donate. Don't feel like you have to. The fact you listen means a lot to me. But if you want to, you can go to CanadaEHX.com and just click Donate. If you do, I'll make sure I thank you throughout social media. I'll thank you at the end of the month. And I'll thank you all through my other podcasts. And on that note, I want to say thank you to somebody who did do a donation just recently, Patricia Benny. Thank you. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdho37. What began in 1871 when British Columbia joined Confederation had taken 14 years to reach its conclusion. The process had gone through a scandal that brought down the government of Sir John A. Macdonald. It had nearly led to British Columbia leaving Confederation over what it felt was a broken promise. And when construction did finally start, years behind schedule, the cost was far more than had been anticipated. The CPR nearly went bankrupt. Thousands of workers lost their lives in the granite and bogs of the Canadian Shield and the deep gorges and high passes of British Columbia. Along the way, the indigenous had been moved off their land into small reserves to make way for the settlers who would help the many towns spring up along the railway. And finally, at 9.22 a.m. on November 7, 1885, it all came to an end with the last spike. It is one of the most famous pictures in Canadian history, but what is the story behind it? What is missing from the picture, and what could have been different? As the big day approached, which came four years behind schedule of the initial timeline, but six years ahead of schedule for the revised Canadian Pacific Railway timeline, two crews coming from the east and west converged at the Eagle Pass at Craigalachi, British Columbia. The CPR wanted to make sure there was some sort of celebration, but by this point, it was nearly bankrupt. The directors had borrowed immense amounts of money to get the job done, and there was no chance for a grand spectacle to end the construction with a flourish. Instead, only a modest celebration for one of the greatest engineering projects in Canadian history would occur. There would be no reporters at the event, nor any politicians, including Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald. Even company president George Stephen was away in England and could not attend. It fell to Donald Smith, the main director and financier of the project, and general manager William Van Horn to journey out to the Eagle Pass. They would be joined by surveyor Sir Sanford Fleming, Major Albert Bowman Rogers, who had directed the CPR to go through the Rogers Pass, and several other officials. On November 6th, the workers had finished the construction of the railroad just in time for the officials to ceremoniously finish it for the camera. There was no community there at that point, but Van Horn would name the spot Craigalachi, in honour of a Clan Grant gathering place in Scotland where he and George Stephen grew up near. 
there would be no gold spike either, as was often used in this type of ceremony. Van Horn had asked for a gold spike from the CPR, but he received the reply that stated, quote, The last spike will be just as good an iron one as there is between Montreal and Vancouver, and anyone who wants to see it driven in will have to pay full fare. End quote. A silver spike had been made for the Governor General Marquis of Lansdowne, who was supposed to be at the ceremony, but poor weather forced his return to Ottawa with the spike. The silver spike would actually remain with the Van Horn family until 2012 when it was donated to the Canadian Museum of Civilization. In fact, while there's no gold or silver spike, there are actually several iron spikes that all claim the title of last spike. The first iron spike was the one that was driven in by Donald Smith, but it became badly bent as he pounded it into the railway tie, missing on his first try and hitting the spike at an angle. Roadmaster Frank Brothers then extracted the spike, and it was presented to Smith as the last spike. Smith then had the spike straightened, and strips of iron were cut from it and then mounted with diamonds. These were presented to the wives of some of the individuals at the ceremony. This spike, which many considered the official last spike, was eventually donated to the Canadian Science and Technology Museum before going on long-term loan to the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 in Halifax. Another iron spike, called the Ordinary Spike, provided more symbolic jewellery for the wives of the officials, but these items had larger strips than the original jewellery made from the previous spike. Yet another last spike was inserted into place after the spike Smith drove in was removed, making it the third spike. It had been taken out to discourage souvenir hunters, and a fourth spike was then driven into the railway tie. The third spike ended up at the CPR president's office in Montreal, and it would disappear from there in the 1940s. It is believed that the missing third spike fell into the hands of a Canadian patent officer who passed it to his children, who then fashioned it into a handle for a carving knife. And this knife is said to be in a safety deposit box in Winnipeg. So were any of these the true last spike, though? In the Regina Leader, in a small paragraph published on November 26, 1885, it states different, saying, quote, A practical joke took place in the mountains. A number of jovial engineers, a wee drab in the eye, drove the last spike before Mr. Van Horn's party arrived and photographs of this scene have been sent east to sell to buyers, end quote. So who knows what spike was really the last spike, and that's been lost to history. When the spike was driven in by Sir Donald Smith, the crowd let out a cheer and a train whistle blew to signal the end of the event. Van Horn would say a few words, stating, quote, All I can say is that the work has been done well in every way, end quote. Later that day, he would telegraph Prime Minister Sir John A. Macdonald, stating, quote, Thanks to your far-seeing policy and unwavering support, the Canadian Pacific Railway is complete. The last rail was laid this morning at 9.22, end quote. As for that photograph, there are some interesting stories behind it. First, it was taken by Alexander J. Ross, who was noted for his portraits of the Indigenous between 1884 and 1891. Ross just happened to be at the site, and he was pushed into service to take the photo after Cornelius Sewell, the expected photographer, did not arrive. This allowed Ross to take one of the most famous photos in Canadian history. The CPR would then make many reproductions of the photo and sell them. In this photo, one thing is noticeably absent, and that is Chinese workers. While there were Chinese workers at the site, just some of the as much as 15,000 who helped build the CPR through British Columbia, with as many as 4,000 losing their lives, they were removed so that none wound up in the photo. In the middle of the photo is Donald Smith pounding in that first spike. 
Next to him in the top hat with a big beard is Sir Sanford Fleming. Next to Fleming, wearing a smaller top hat with a beard, is William Van Horn. And closer to the camera, there's a man looking at the camera, and he's very noticeable. This is Roadmaster Frank Brothers, who placed the last spike into position. Two spots away from Smith, there's a hard-to-see man in mutton chops looking at Smith. This is Major Rogers, the man who found the pass. There's another person in the photo, a young boy, looking out from behind Donald Smith. This is Edward Maladane. He was born in Victoria, B.C., with some sources, including the Victoria Times columnist, saying he was born on July 1st, 1867, the day of Confederation. That being said, I found other sources that stated he was born June 1st, 1867. And he's quite small for his age, so he looks like a boy. I think he was probably born between 1867 and 1870. He would quit school not long before the photo was taken, and he joined the Canadian forces to fight in the Northwest Resistance, but he arrived too late to fight. So he went back west and began operating his own business delivering newspapers and supplies between the Eagle Pass and Farwell, B.C. in the summer of 1885. As people crowded around Smith as he prepared to drive in the spike, Edward pushed his way to the front and reached the front row just as the photograph was taken. He would relate in February 1939, quote, Soon there remained but a single rail to be laid. The spectators, numbering roughly 50 outside of the workmen, intently watched each spike as it was driven. Finally, there remained but one more spike to be driven. It was partly driven in and a hammer was given to Sir Donald Smith to drive it home in the most workmanlike manner. Everybody cheered, the locomotives whistled and shrieked, several short speeches were made and hands were shaken. End quote. After, he would return home and study to become an architect and surveyor and a land developer. He would eventually become the co-founder of the town of Creston in southeastern British Columbia. He would also serve as a coroner, reeve and justice of the peace there, and a militia officer. When the First World War broke out, he would enlist in the Forestry Battalion and became a lieutenant colonel. In 1944, he would shake hands with a young man who portrayed him in a reenactment of the original photo. At the time, he was the last living person from that famous photo. After the ceremony, Van Horn, Smith, and other dignitaries took the train on the new track to Port Moody, the terminus at the time. This made it the first train to make the journey on the CPR from eastern Canada to the Pacific coast. As can be expected, the last spike being driven in was big news across the country. The Victoria Daily Times would report, quote, As the hammer descended for the last time, a ringing cheer awoke the mountain echoes and reverberated through the valleys. All along the line from station to station, through the mountains, across a thousand miles of prairie, around the rock-bound shores of Superior, and through the rich provinces of Ontario and Quebec, one universal shout of rejoicing went up in response to the word, flashed over the wire that the great work which was engaged the attention of Canada to the exclusion of almost every other topic was finally finished. End quote. The first transcontinental train with passengers would leave Montreal on June 28, 1886, bound for Port Moody. The long coast-to-coast -coast effort to build the railroad had completed, and Canada would never be the same again. Today, the last spike has become an ingrained part of Canadian culture and is even featured on the current Canadian passport on pages 10 and 11, along with the photograph taken of the ceremony. In 1985, the CPR held a ceremony to mark the 100th anniversary of the last spike, and this was driven in by the great-grandson of Donald Smith, the current Lord Strathcona. Today, a cairn and interpretive site sits where the last spike was driven in on that cool November day in 1885.
I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at The Last Spike. I hope you enjoyed the podcast too. This was an interesting podcast to put together, and I have another podcast coming out, but it's going to be coming out in December. I'm going to be releasing nine episodes. It's a really interesting topic, and if you're a patron of the $10 and above level, you get all nine episodes at once. I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast and for journeying along with me from the first railroad built in Canada all the way to the last spike. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Pacific Set-Off Siding, Canadian Encyclopedia, Victoria Times Colonist, Wikipedia, Government of Canada, CP Connecting Canada, the Montreal Gazette, and the Regina Leader. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.